be spilling all sorts of tea about what's going on in Washington, D.C., what regulators and lawmakers are thinking about and working on, and what you and your credit union should be evaluating in terms of risks and areas of opportunity. I'm your host, Ann Petros, NAFQ's Vice President of Regulatory Affairs, and today I am joined by Paul Davis, who is the Director of Market Intelligence at Strategic Resource Management, or SRM, Uh, and he's made the case that credit unions should consider offering buy now, pay later, or BNPL products. So we'll talk all about that today. Thank you, Paul, for joining me. Uh, Thank you uh, again for having us, Ann. I love the studio. Yeah, Thanks. yeah, we're we're lucky to have it, and um, really excited to make use of it for this podcast. Terrific. So, yeah. All right, let's dive in. So, right. BMPL. Let's just kind of lay the groundwork. You know, what is it first of all, sure. and and when did BMPL products become so commonplace? It seemed like this sort of came out of nowhere. It does seem like it's an overnight sensation, mm-hmm. but you know, if you really think about it, it's really just a new take on an old concept in a lot of ways. I mean, you go back in the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, layaway programs became popular, you know, where you would want to, but what happened there is you would take possession of the item after you paid for it, right? So now you've got this situation with the advent of technology, with uh, um, remote purchasing, obviously, a lot of apps, and that was exacerbated by the pandemic. more merchants wanted to take the idea of somebody putting something in a cart and actually turning it into a purchase. You know, a lot of times we'll go on a website, we'll put stuff in our cart, and then we'll forget about it or think better of it, right? Right. But the idea is how do you capture that, you know, complete that purchase? And so, yeah, so then you have a bunch of fintechs, non, you know, non-bank folks like Klarna, Afterpay, mm-hmm. coming in and offering this product. And in a nutshell, you're taking possession of the item now, but then you're all making essentially interest-free payments over four installments until you pay the item off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in essentially, it's again, it's it's layaway, but with a new kind of technological twist to it. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, new spin on on an old concept and and product. But that's how a lot of innovations really take place. It's really taking mm-hmm. an old idea and making it new again. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. But consumers seem to really like it, um, and you know, there are benefits certainly to consumers, but there are also some risks. Can you kind of walk me through both sides? Sure. Uh, You know, obviously, um, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. Mm -hmm. As a society, we make it so much, we've been making it progressively easier and easier and easier for people to spend money without necessarily thinking about the fact that they're spending money, right? So there's that risk that, you know, somebody might be overly reliant on buy now, pay later and get ahead of their skis in terms of spending more than maybe they should. So that's a clear risk. Um, obviously, there's a risk if you can't make the payments over the four payments mm-hmm. because you have to pay. You have to actually pay for the product, and the person already has possession of the product. So it's not like you can say, "Oh, you didn't make the payments, so we're not going to deliver the goods." So right. sure, there's a risk to the merchant. There's a risk to the consumer. I mean, inherently, there is an underlying risk to the financial institution that is involved with the product, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. That's why it's really important to try to mitigate that risk as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like you can repo these consumer products. <laughs> like, well, yeah, especially with people using it it for things like gasoline and groceries. You know, right. it's not like we're, you're going to go and siphon the gas yeah. out of the car, right? Yeah, so. yeah it's done. Um, you know, but do consumers, is it your sense that consumers 
really have an understanding of the mechanics of these BMPL products and, and the risks that they may pose? Or are people just kind of blindly mm. jumping into these products and thinking, oh, this is great. You know, I can pay it off and no problem. And then maybe they get into a situation where they've got multiple, you know, BNPL mm-hmm. products. I think that we you have to talk about that like you would talk about any other credit product, right? With a credit card, for example, there are going to be a, a certain percentage of the uh, cardholder population that is sophisticated, that does have financial education, knows what they're doing. And then you're going to have a certain element of the population that maybe doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why one of the things that we would advocate is, you know, having some kind of financial literacy, financial education tool to go along with buy now, pay later, make sure the people who are getting into that, those purchasing habits understand the fact that, yes, you're going to need to budget. You're going to need to keep track of this kind of stuff. I think that's important. Right. Um, however, there was, a, there was a recent study that uh, we saw that is looking at how we're seeing more older Americans and more affluent Americans start to grow comfortable with buy now, pay later. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So these we're thinking you're looking at bigger ticket purchases there. And in theory, just totally in theory, they should be, they would be better you know, kind of buy now, pay later customers because they obviously have the the ability to, to pay on the item. They're older, have generally have more experience in this, mm-hmm. you know. But, yeah, to your point, there is going to be a part of the population where you're going to need to make sure they understand the the risks and the pit, potential pitfalls from uh, from overly using that product. Right, yeah. yeah. And I think the, the concern really is that, you know, there's – an intent to to target those individuals who maybe are not as sophisticated mm-hmm. or not as financially literate sure. and that there's some sort of there's some sort of predatory practices going on here do you feel that that is true or mm. not I, it, so much you could look at you could look at it that mm-hmm. way the other way that you can look at it as well is it's also an opportunity to bring in unbanked and underbanked people and bring right. them into the financial system. You know, it, it could be a tool for financial inclusion, mm-hmm. but again, you have to have that, uh, the, those elements that folks like the CFPB are going to want to see, right? That's going to be some kind of financial education. You're going to have to have clear terms and disclosures. You're going to need to make sure that the rates aren't predatory, those types of things. Right. I mean, if you check those types of boxes off as a credit union, um, not only can you potentially make the CFPB comfortable with it, but you're also, again, that's bringing more members into the financial system. Right. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think that is important when we talk about things like unbanked and, and underbanked. And as more and more consumers are using, you know, these sorts of non-traditional financial services mm-hmm. and, you know, turning to, to non-banks, um, you know, obviously we'd love everyone to, to right. bank with a credit union. But, you know, are they really unbanked if they're using these sorts of products. It's a way to, to right. bring them into the fold. Right. And you can over time potentially transition them right from a buy now pay later habit mm-hmm. to potentially a credit card right. or even better savings and uh, savings uh, mm-hmm. products, you know, so they can actually not only buy what they need to, but then they can hopefully you can teach them saving habits and hopefully build wealth over time right. as well. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, that's mm-hmm. the ideal transition of a, of a member, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess this could potentially supplant something like your secured credit cards, though, or just be an alternative. Well, and that's one of the reasons why in our research uh, we've at SRM, we've advocated 
credit unions explore, not necessarily pursue, right. but at least be educated and explore buy now, pay later, because there is that potential of it disrupting the natural kind of account holder relationship for credit cards, debit cards, because if people are going to be making more purchases on buy now, pay later, they may not be using their, their regular cards or traditional cards. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, you think there really is a, a business case and, and reason for credit unions to consider this as just, just another product and mm -hmm. your, you know, suite of, of products and, mm -hmm. and options for your members, maybe younger consumers, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, could be a way to, to attract and, and grow membership, right? Yeah, I mean, tend to his, I mean, the data generally suggests that buy now, pay later usage is higher with younger uh, younger folks, again, we are seeing older, more affluent people start to pick it up as well. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Um, it is a way to, for potentially a new entry point with uh, younger demographics, bringing in younger people into credit union membership. Um, you know, again, but you have to just make sure that it's done the right way. And again, you know, the other thing we point out, is just like when we talk about crypto, or mm -hmm. digital assets, again, I can't emphasize enough, education is key. Do your homework, do your due diligence, understand the risks, the opportunities. Right. And understand that you need to make sure you have the structures in place. So if a regulator does start asking questions, you can just document and show them that you did your homework. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, credit unions are, are not strangers to the compliance realm and, and right. have compliance officers and are always worried about what the CFPB is going to do next. And so that doesn't seem like... Um, you know, unfamiliar territory, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, getting comfortable with the idea of offering something like this, which is, you know, in some ways an unknown product, you know, mm -hmm. it does carry risk. It's a little novel. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't yet know what the CFPB is going to do. I think that is where mm -hmm. the, the hesitancy is. The fear of the unknown is definitely uh, something to be, uh, to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. For yeah. sure. But to your point, you know, credit unions, banks as well, already have that compliance apparatus for other consumer products. Um, they are already generally well-versed at evaluating creditworthiness and risk. Right. Um, terms and disclosures are pretty much a standard thing anyway. So I find that credit unions are already, by and large, meeting the expectations of the CFPB in, general, in a broader credit sense. But to your point, we just haven't, we don't know what CFPB is going to do in the in terms of this specific product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the the financial literacy. I mean, so many credit unions already put a lot of time and, and effort into uh, ensuring they have programs mm -hmm. in place to to help their communities and their members really understand mm -hmm. what all these various um, you know products and services are and and the risks that mm -hmm. they carry. So uh, it seems you know, like a natural fit to just incorporate that here. It does. And in fact, I know I'm in uh, North Carolina, one of the local credit unions sponsors a, a high school and they actually have a credit union inside the high school for the purpose of providing educational opportunities, financial literacy programs for teenagers. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that apparatus exists, obviously. Right. For that yeah. particular demographic. Yeah, exactly. And, and you mentioned, you know, how the study that, that you cited um, shows that older Americans are, you know, more and more interested in, in these BMPL products and starting mm -hmm. to use them a little more frequently. And so, you know, as credit unions are increasingly faced with an aging membership profile, um, you know, you really think that that this could be 
kind of key to attracting those those newer younger members mm-hmm. and 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 building you know sustainable membership and and growth throughout yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, you also just remember that you're taking buy now, pay later, and it's just one tool in a much larger toolbox. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the other thing we advocate. We're not saying that you should just jump into it as a standalone. You, buy now, pay later can just be one element of a broader mm-hmm. payments ecosystem that you have at your uh, at your financial institution. Yeah. How do you target those those younger consumers? And I mean, I think that you know, it's a million dollar question. Right. right? If we had the answer to that, um, we could do an entire segment just on that yeah. topic alone. What are your thoughts? Um, well, number one, I mean, I, I think the key with a buy now, pay later product is to remember that you're doing, you're working with the merchants on the merchant side, right? Not really on the consumer side. So, you know, we were talking about this uh, earlier. You go to uh, go to a clothing app. It's not like that clothing app has four different buy now, pay later options. That clothing app is working with Afterpay or Klarna. Mm-hmm. So, number one, maybe when you're trying to figure out what merchant relationships you can be involved with. You look for the merchant relationships that have that particular demographic. Mm-hmm. You know, pair the merchant with it. So, again, I'm not sure what the Gen Z merchants are right now, right. but you know, you identify the merchants that have a strong following from younger purchasers, and maybe that's one way of helping decide what kind of relationships you're going to have. Mm-hmm. And maybe that would require you know some some market research and some partners to to help you figure out exactly what that looks like and and how to get involved. I mean, again, due diligence, do your research, um, bring in someone from the outside who's well-versed in the area to come in and just kind of help you get a lay of the land. Again, this is obviously because of the potential implications with credit, with reputational risk, with the regulatory environment. You're not jumping into the deep end of the pool. You're kind of wading into it slowly to see how comfortable you feel. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned reputational risk. So if you know, credit unions are considering offering a BNPL product. You know, how do they weigh that reputational risk and, and other risks, um, you know, potential CFPB scrutiny, mm-hmm. whatever rulemaking, if it gets to that, you know, may come out. Um, and in developing and, and rolling out this product that, like I was referencing earlier, has been shown to, to kind of target some of these individuals who are already in poor financial health. Right. You know, we've heard from some of our members that, you know, they're they're helping some of their members who've taken out these BMPL products and have just overleveraged mm-hmm. themselves and right. are in a cycle of indebtedness and and don't know how to get out and they need mm-hmm. help from their financial institution whom they trust, mm-hmm. you know, more than than these um servicers. So, you know, how do you, how do you balance that? Mm-hmm. And, and suddenly you're the financial institution that, right. Oh, we're offering it too. Right. You know, but you can trust us. It's okay. Well, and that's true. So no, also not, uh, not only on the regulatory side, but the legislative front, we, you mm-hmm. never know when, you know, Congress would want to take up buy now, pay later and get involved as well. Right. And to your point, yeah, we've, the research shows that, you know, a large percentage of the population would like a buy now, pay later product from a trusted financial institution versus the fintech startups that are offering them. But I think, uh, it's, I think the data was like 70% of financial, small financial institutions are really reluctant to do so. Right. Um, but to your point, um, I think you just have to uh, do your homework. 
treat this and understand that this is a credit product, just like your credit cards, like other, other secured credit products. Mm -hmm. And just again, when you're dealing with those younger demographics, younger folks or underbanked folks, those kind of demographics, stress that idea they need to maybe an idea might be have them take an educational financial educational course to qualify for the buy now pay later okay. product. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, we're just rifting and spitballing this a little right. bit, but maybe you do something like that. Maybe part of the requirement to get the product is to just take a class and, or be walked through here are the risks. Here's, mm -hmm. here's what you want to avoid doing with this product. That's what, that might be one way to mitigate risk. Right, some sort of counseling that's that's Some mandatory. kind of, yeah, which again is something that a lot of credit unions already do in the community anyway. Right, yeah, definitely. But this would be you know tied to this particular mm -hmm. product. And, you know, and it's something to show the CFPB, look, we're, we, we, we're not just offering this and having people just yes. dive in. We're trying mm -hmm. to also use this again as a tool of financial inclusion and bringing people into the system. Right, yeah. So they're not going to payday lenders. They're not going to go exactly. into the other places where we have seen a CFPB crack. Yeah, crack you're out. demonstrating good faith, and yeah, you know this is this is being done with a good intention. You know, mm -hmm. we're we're trying to help the community and and not, you know, take advantage of of consumers that may be you know Precisely. in a precarious position anyway. Um, you know, but again, the uncertainty with the CFPB, I think, is is the biggest issue. Um, what sort of regulatory action do you think would reduce that uncertainty for credit unions that are interested or thinking about, mm -hmm. you know, ways to get into the BMPL space? Is there something in particular that you think would um, tip the scales? I think uh, credit unions just need to really closely monitor anything that comes out of the CFPB. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do that at SRM with not only with buy now, pay later, but pretty much any product. Because um, you're going to see that the CFPB puts out blogs. They have speeches. Just listen to, just see what, you know, they're kind of, they'll, they'll tease out policy in a blog or a speech before they will put out hard guidance or before they hit sure. somebody with a, with a penalty. So that's the first thing is, you know, just keep track of what they're saying on their, on their social media or on their website. Number two. You know, yeah, when they seek comments, know that those comments are not just there just for fun fact-finding and information gathering. That's going to clue in that they want to do something. And then also, if they do at some point hit one of these non-banks, one of these fin hit a fintech with some kind of penalty or a slap them, you know, or, or some kind of something, mm -hmm. take note of why they did it. Take note of what they're requiring that lender to do to rectify the situation just make sure you're following those things very closely crossing your t's dotting your i's and document everything that you're doing to show the cfpb or uh any other state or federal regulator that you're you're in good faith trying to do the right, right. thing yeah that's a great point you know any supervisory guidance that comes out from the cfpb or enforcement action against the enforcement you know, actions a, i think are really telling yeah, yeah. Um, should be then, you know, melded into your compliance program and your risk analysis mm -hmm. and assessment and, and the way that you go about, you know, offering mm -hmm. this this product and, and engaging with consumers, you know, mm -hmm. about this because that's where you know for a fact the CFPB is gonna pay attention. Right. So that I mean that's really no different than than any other, you know, regulatory area any other lending product and that's the underlying premise of the the report that we put out 
and why we think buy now, pay later does have a role in mainstream financial services because credit unions already have the apparatus in place. They mm -hmm. already have the structures in place for other credit products. You just have to figure out if those can be adapted or tweaked to fit this product. Mm -hmm. And there are some entities out there, you know, QSOs or otherwise that are, you know, already talking about this mm -hmm. and, and, and trying to help, you know, credit unions that are interested right. maybe develop this program. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and not just, uh, not just with buy now, pay later, but you're seeing QSOs start to kind of, kind of coalesce around digital assets. You're seeing, mm -hmm. uh, taking the banking as a service concept and applying it to credit union as a service. So you are seeing through QSOs and other, you know, FinTech partnerships, that kind of evolution right. and buy now, pay later in, in other areas as well. Yeah. And now another issue with, with the buy now, pay later product has been, you know, until recently when the you know credit bureaus announced that they were going to start including, mm -hmm. you know, this, this type of um, product and consumer reports that, you know, this, this really wasn't being reported, you know, as a, as a positive um, credit element on, on credit reports. Sure. Um, so, you know, would BMPL be more viable as a model if providers could use hard credit checks as opposed to soft credit checks? Mm. And, and how would that change the dynamic? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I thought about that uh, quite a bit uh, when you uh, mentioned that a few days ago. Um, you know, I think it can work both ways. I mean, obviously, if you do a hard credit check, there's going to be, you know, that's going to show up, right? Right. And we've talked about, you know, soft credit checks. Are you really mitigating risk enough with a soft credit check, mm -hmm. right? Um, there are uh, there are instances where I think you could use a soft credit check, but you're going to have to have much more restrictive policies on the back end of that buy now, pay later relationship. For example, maybe, again, you have that educational element at the beginning. Then you maybe have a low credit limit of how much they can actually spend mm -hmm. on your product, let's say a $1,000 cap. Mm -hmm. So you're, you know, and then the other thing is, uh, um, I'm trying to remember, but I think it's an element with Apple Pay. If you, if they have a buy now, pay later customer who misses a payment, then they lock them out of the, out of the, out of buy now, pay later until they can get current as well. So maybe there are ways to have lower, you know, lower initial credit limits, a way of saying, okay, if you can't, if you're not going to be current, we got to, we're going to freeze the account education element, that might be a way where you can mitigate risk, but also not have to go and do a hard credit check. Right. Yeah. There's certainly, you know, ways to, to put limitations on consumers continued use of these products. If they are demonstrating that, you know, they're a, a riskier, yeah. uh, member or consumer and, and, you know, maybe prone to, um, delinquencies. Mm -hmm. And also selecting your merchant partners too, as well. I mean, um, so another way we've seen a use case is maybe you're the buy now, pay later provider for larger ticket items or for things like that and avoiding being the buy now, pay later option for everyday purchases as well. Mm -hmm. There might be that. Also, so selecting your merchant uh, partnerships is important, but then also just knowing how to have those, uh, those checks in place on the consumer side. Right. I mean, do you think that there's anything 
inherently wrong with consumers relying on BNPL products for everyday purchases? Or should it just be for these larger ticket, mm. you know, once in a while kind of items? Well, that's a very good point. And especially now that we are seeing, since we've been seeing the inflation mm -hmm. that we've been seeing over the last few quarters, more people are using their, I mean, credit card usage is up for one thing. Right. Buy now, pay later adoption is up. And I think a lot of that is a reflection on everyday goods are more expensive. People are feeling stretched. I think they were in June, uh, the average cost of everyday goods in the month of June was up 400 bucks from a year ago. So yeah, people, a lot expensive. Of, <laughs> and yeah, and a lot of people just don't have an extra $400 uh, to do it. So they are relying on mm -hmm. credit products. That's, that's, that's something to be very mindful of. Right. Um, but so to that point, yeah, I think it, the buy now, pay later product is probably more viable if it is for larger purchases as opposed to everyday items. Because you don't really want somebody to be dependent on credit products to put food on the table. Right. There's other solutions that financial services companies can work with somebody on, hopefully, so they don't have to rely on credit products just to, to put gas in their car. Mm -hmm. But as a financial institution, you know, how do you monitor and and limit mm -hmm. you know how the the member uses the product well i think that goes back to the idea that the buy now pay later relationship is really through the merchant mm -hmm. you know you're it's a merchant relationship so you again if you're working with i don't know let's a home improvement store if you're the sure. buy now pay later option for the home improvement store you know you're picking that relationship and hopefully that's and so there's some control over what's being purchased there. Now, of course, you know, with a home improvement store, people can use it for smaller items as well. But yeah. at least if you're, you know, you're aware that that's the relationship, then you can hopefully pick those merchant relationships to avoid uh, targeting people who are relying on it for everyday goods. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if a credit union is interested in considering, you know, buy, buy now, pay later, product and, and developing this product, you know, where do they start doing the research? You know, who's, who's out there to, to help them navigate this space? Sure. Um, I mean, I, you know, there's going to be outside folks that are, are well-versed in this. I mean, obviously we have folks at SRM, uh, colleagues of mine who are looking at this. Obviously that's why we have the, why we put our report out. We we're, we're following this. So we certainly have opinions. So, mm -hmm. you know, I would say start with, you know, our, our report, kind of get a sense of a lay of the land. And then, yeah, there are, there are going to be uh, resources to look into it further. I assume credit union associations mm -hmm. are looking into this. You guys are probably tracking this as well. That, that would be a place to go. Talk to other people who are also looking into this. Again, I find one thing about the credit union community is there's a certain level of collegiality to it, not just cutthroat competition. So talk to your peers about right. this. You know, what are you thinking about this? Here's what we're thinking mm -hmm. and get a sense of that kind of e build, build that kind of ecosystem where you can really just share information and have a better understanding before you dive in. Sure. Yeah, that's a great point. And NAFQ offers some um, networks or, you know, compliance risk and BSA network is just that a forum mm -hmm. where, you know, members can participate and you know, a spirited discussion on mm -hmm. pretty much any topic. Right. Um, and, and people ask all sorts of questions. And so, you know, I, I encourage you all, you know, the viewers today to, to take, you know, that opportunity and, um, 
ask questions about BNPL or anything else, um, you know, in those networks and, and have that discussion with your peers, because that's a great point. You know, if, mm-hmm. if other credit unions are considering it, you know, that's probably your best avenue to, to figure out how it might be an option for, for your institution. And it goes to just beyond not there, not just there with buy now, pay later, but again, talking about financial inclusion, financial literacy, those are also areas where maybe you could discuss that with your peers and incorporate certain elements into uh, into a broader buy now, pay later program as well. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully the the CFPB is is satisfied with what they see as financial institutions start getting involved in this, and um, you know, there's always a concern of you know, UDAP, the unfair, mm-hmm. um, deceptive, you know, acts and practices and truth and lending. There's so many places where you can get tripped up yeah. with, with, honestly, with a buy now, if you don't do it properly, there are so many mm-hmm. ways to get tripped up, uh, by, uh, through various acts that are out there. Yeah. And, and the concern, you know, with, with the truth and lending act is that, you know, the way that these BMPL products are structured with the pay and for model mm-hmm. is that, you know, it skirts some of the, mm-hmm. the disclosure requirements under yes. TILA and, you know, the other regulatory consumer protections in place. And so it's seen as, as kind of a I guess sketchy might be one word for it, you know, a, a product that painting around the edges. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Might exactly. Be a way to look it's, at it. Yeah. But I mean, again, uh, I, I, I feel confident that most credit unions are probably not interested in painting around the edges because mm-hmm. that's going to be a disservice to their members and member service is a huge underpinning of, of the model, right? And the appetite's just not there. Correct. And credit unions don't, are generally risk averse and don't like to right. operate, you know, in, on the, in the fray. <laughs> right. But that's an opportunity, right? Then the, the, that's still an opportunity to come out with a product that has the flexibility elements that people are used to with buy now, pay later but then incorporates those kind of core values that uh, credit right. unions and, 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 you know, traditional financial institutions have been uh, relied upon for years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I think this is especially, you know, important when we're looking at, you know, what the CFPB is doing with respect to, you know, their potential rulemaking on fees, mm-hmm. you know, the, the junk fees, quote unquote, um, you know, issue that they've been paying attention to, um, you know, whether that means there's going to be some sort of action mm-hmm. on, you know, the overdraft, right. uh, rulemaking. And we've seen a huge shift in the industry there. And a lot of institutions are doing away with mm-hmm. or significantly scaling back, right. you know, their, their overdraft and NSF fees. And so, um, you know, this is just another product that, you know, maybe could, help to um kind of lessen the 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 burn from <laughs> from all of that uh, i completely agree and, and we make the same case with talking about being open-minded towards digital assets as well right. because the old models are being constricted and constrained right the, the old fee models overdraft nsf those types of things and to in order to still produce a certain type of performance, you're going to have to be open-minded and look at other mm-hmm. revenue channels, and that's what we try to make the point: is buy now, pay later is an opportunity, but not one to go into, you know, with a, you know, go in blind, blind, you know. Yeah, certainly. Well, any other, you know, final thoughts before we close out? Sure. I, I, we were talking about this too. You know, I understand too that buy now, pay later is going to evolve mm-hmm. outside of potential just 
consumer or retail application. I was just reading this morning that there's a, a fintech out there that's now going to come out with a B2B buy now, pay later kind oh, of product. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, if you're a small business and you uh, suddenly have to buy office equipment, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, you know, copiers or something, you know, some kind of, you know, office equipment, they're going to allow you to also then be able to pay for that over an installment period as well. So that's something to keep in mind too, because I know a lot of credit union members probably are small business owners as well. So there might be a natural progression of the product over time for commercial applications, not just on the retail side. So this could be a really dynamic product, you know, maybe start Mm -hmm. with the consumer side, but something that you can offer to your business members that, you know, is an easier product to, to wrap your mind around because, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously credit unions have the, the MBL cap too. So these are, these are smaller loans. I mean, I think, you know, we're in a time right now where, the financial services industry is in constant states of evolution and mm-hmm. innovation. Um, fintechs have accelerated that. The pandemic has accelerated that. Much more remote uh, transactions, contactless transactions. And, you know, the bottom line is, you know, the financial services industry, as we know, it is is going to be a lot different in five to ten years. Right. Significantly, much more different than it was even ten years ago. So we have to continue to educate ourselves on new products, new opportunities on the revenue side, um, or, you know, just continue to feel constricted on the old ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, that, that gives me a lot to think about and, and hopefully our viewers a lot to think about as well. Um, and that does it for today's episode. So thank you so much for, for joining me and I really appreciate, you know, all of your, your insights on this and, uh, Stay tuned for the next episode of The Cup. Until next time.